Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help, so let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this letter written to the Philippians as we conclude it today. Lord, help us to see what your spirit has for us. Help us to see these words and have them affect us in our hearts and in our minds, that we might better understand who you are and what Christ has done for us. Give us your spirit that we might have ears to hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, here we have in our concluding words in Paul's letters an extended thanksgiving for their partnership in the gospel. Now, we've already talked a bit about Epaphroditus coming and bringing the gift, and really we see crystallized here the place in which the church in Philippi played in Paul's ministry. They were the first ones to partner with him, the ongoing support they had. And the treasured place that they have in Paul's heart as one who has received so much from them. In the midst of this passage, we have Paul talking about the theme of contentment. Contentment, and it's perhaps one of the most known verses from this book, but also all of the New Testament. Uh, One that you may have seen scribbled on a tennis shoe and a basketball game I can do all things through him who strengthens me and that's where we're going to spend most of our time today talking about contentment because Paul here is trying to remind the Philippians to give them thanks for everything they have done and yet also remind them where he truly finds his strength and really a result even of their aid to him being this gift of God to him this gift of grace to him 
the way in which he can see the strength of Christ in the midst of his uncertainty. Paul wants them to know that Christ is the source of all strength, the source of our strength, the source of his strength, the source of his ability to be content. When we think about contentment and strength, I think it's no surprise to most of us that we struggle with the idea of contentment. We live in a culture in which we always want more. We are told not to be content, to strive for the next level, to want the promotion, to get the better house, to be even entitled to something that we don't have yet. There is no place too high for us to transcend to, from rags to riches. And so it is particularly pointed for us as we look at the way in which Paul talks about contentment here and the strength of Christ in the midst of it, as we are people who struggle for contentment, who look for contentment in other things rather than Christ himself. As we think about this popular verse, it really smacks of that American discontentment. It's a great irony uh, as it's been applied in many circumstances. Perhaps the most uh, relevant place we see this now in its misapplication, out of context application of what Paul is trying to say is very much that scribbling on a shoe. There's a professional basketball player you may have heard of, Steph Curry. Uh, godly man, outspoken Christian. Every basketball game he writes, Philippians 4.13, on his shoe. So if you buy his used shoes or, you know, he donates them to charities, you know, that's, that's his life verse. Now, he plays for the Golden State Warriors. He's won at least three NBA championships. I'm not sure. Maybe they've won another one since. Uh, right? He's been the MVP of the league. He's an outspoken Christian man. And he says this, this is a mantra that I live by and something that drives me every single day. Now, it's true that God does give us gifts in every circumstance that he provides for us each day and that he gives us the strength for whatever we're called to do. But that's not the point Paul is making by saying this. Because indeed, if that is really the source, this, this kind of application where, uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I, I can tell you, if I wrote that on my tennis shoes, I could not probably make any three-pointers the way that Steph Curry does. And if the opponents on the other team wrote that on their shoes, well, who is going to win if God is on both sides? It's kind of a trivialization of this verse. Uh, and it's not necessarily negatively intended to try to apply it beyond what Paul has in mind. But what we want to understand first is what Paul means. And then maybe we can think about how it applies to our basketball game. The strength that Paul is calling us to, the strength of Christ, applies to all things. And as we hear that word, all things, this is where we begin to see the misapplication. We often think when it says all things, it means every single possible scenario I can come up with. 
But thankfully, Paul gives us a pretty clear idea of what he means by all things. Not merely every single possible scenario, but that in all sorts of things, in good times and in bad. Right? Paul tells us clearly in the context of this passage, uh, three different contrasting pairs in which Christ gives him strength. The first is how to be brought low and how to abound. Right? Paul is at a low. He's in prison. God has given him the strength to be brought low, to be embarrassed, to be shackled, to be beaten. All of the things he has gone through, all of the humiliation Paul has endured, Christ has given him contentment. And how to abound, how to be successful. Paul has planted these churches. Paul has had times of prosperity. And he finds his contentment in Christ in that. Now, the other contrast is here in number two, uh, facing plenty versus hunger. I don't know many of us that have had to go more than a day, even if we've ever gone that long, without doing it by choice, to actually experience hunger. So, in plenty and in hunger, and then lastly, in abundance versus and in need. Paul is poor. He even says in this passage today, as we looked at it, thank you for the gift. I didn't really need it. I would have been okay, but I'm glad I got it. It would be okay if I continued to be poor. And so with these two, this list of these three contrasting pairs, right, we see that there is Christ's strength in low times and Christ's strength in high times. Those are our two main kind of points we want to look at today. So first, Christ is our strength at our lowest times. Verse 12 says that Paul knows how to be brought low. He knows what it's like to be hungry, to be in need, to have nothing, to be abandoned. And I think it's easy for us to grasp this a bit more than other uh, circumstances. Because it's often the times when we feel like we have nothing. Uh, I can imagine a scenario where somebody who is hungry or very poor and needy, not sure how they're going to pay their bills, when we are tempted towards a despair, when we begin to lose hope, You know, we feel like you're at the end of your rope. Those are often times when people become very spiritual, when they turn to God in our desperation. Because that's at our low time. We have nothing else to grasp onto. We need God to act. We don't have anything. That's a category that maybe we've experienced on some level. Uncertainty can drive us to Christ. And that's what Paul has experienced time and time again. It's where he finds his strength. Whether or not the Philippians would give their gift, Paul was content because God was with him. He knew that he was fulfilling the mission that God had for him. You can think of all of the people we pray for who are imprisoned for being pastors. Children taken away. I'm sure their prayer life increased greatly because there's something about 
finding ourselves in scenarios that we can't do anything about that forces us to find our contentment in God. It forces us to have to seek his strength because we know we don't have strength to do it on our own. Last week we talked about how Paul was encouraging the church to not be anxious about anything, but in all things to make his requ- their requests known to God. And Paul, throughout this letter, has been trying to highlight for his readers, for us, the implications of all the benefits of being united to Christ. Right? It is God who is at work in us to both will and to work. Jesus gives us his righteousness, a righteousness that comes by faith alone, not a righteousness that is gained by works. That God's peace and presence are available with us because we belong to Christ. And now he is coming to this reminder that we can have Christ's strength in the midst of our weakness. It's the great reversal that happens uh, as Jesus comes and preaches. The powerful have to lose their power and the weak become equals. Christ is the great equalizer because he gives strength to those who are weak and those who are strong. He doesn't look to our circumstances on whether or not he wants to be with us, to give us his contentment and his spirit. Our salvation isn't contingent on whether we have successful lives or lives of wanting. Christ's strength is available to us particularly here in our weakness, our cancer diagnosis, our joblessness, our unresolved conflict. When we see political climates that are full of tension, when we are in the prisons of hostile governments, even in death, Christ's strength is promised to his people. He will sustain us for his glory and for the work that he has for us to complete. And that is Paul's hope. Paul, writing this letter full of love and hope and praise, he even ends this section with this doxology. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is only able to rejoice, to give thanks, to praise God while being in prison because he is finding his contentment and strength in Christ. Now, a much more difficult scenario for us is our second point, and that is that Christ is our strength in our high times. As Paul tells us in verse 12, when he is abounding, when he has plenty, and when he has abundance. When you think about our lives, uh, we are generally prosperous people who don't have a lot of wanting, a lot of hunger. We have plenty. We live an abundant life. We have stores with shelves packed full of any kind of food you could imagine. We have access to incredible health care. And when we have these things, Paul is also telling us our strength must come from Christ. Because when we have prosperity, when we have abundance, 
What are we prone to do? We're prone to be confident in those things. We begin to think that we are masters of our own destinies, that we can will our ways into whatever lives we want to have, that nothing can take us down. We are likely to look at all that we have or that we've accomplished and become proud and boastful. Indeed, if there was anybody who would boast of a successful ministry, it could have been Paul. But yet he became the most humble of all people. See, when we don't have much, it's easy for us to look to something else to find strength. Sometimes that's not God, right, in our, in our own lives. If we find ourselves in weakness, we might cling to another person, a loved one, a good friend to give us strength. Those aren't necessarily bad things. It's easy for us to think about holding on to that thing for strength. But how often do we think about contentment and strength in Christ when we have what we need? kind of the opposite of what Paul is trying to play out here. Paul is really trying to encourage them in their weakness. He's trying to encourage them in the faith that they have before them, which is going to be similar to theirs. He's trying to encourage people who don't have a lot, and what they have might get stolen away pretty soon. But what's interesting is he includes both those categories for us, and now we are people that have so much more. And in fact, I think we are at a far greater risk than they were. It's almost a given uh, in the New Testament as you go through and read all of the letters and all of what happened in the book of Acts that they were a lot of poor people, a lot of people without means. It's hard for us to identify with the downtrodden and the weak and the needy people. Our current level of prosperity is unthinkable. The average American makes 90 times more than the average person throughout all of history. 90 times. And I don't know what the average American salary is. I imagine it's not that high when we compare it to ourselves. Most of us don't need to worry about where our food will come from. Prayers like give us this day our daily bread fall flat on our ears because we don't worry about our daily bread. We don't have debtors in a way that we think that we're indebted to them. We'll just pay them off. We can come up with the money ourselves. We don't worry about where our food is going to come from. We certainly aren't worried about getting released from prison. We generally feel safe. The ability to keep ourselves safe, live in safe neighborhoods. But Paul wants us to be reminded that we need to find our anchor, our strength, our contentment, not only when we're desperate and in need, but then when we have no need, we still see our ultimate need, our ultimate need for strength and contentment. I think this is oftentimes why you look through the church history and you see these like vows of poverty. Now, that's not a biblical thing we all want to do is just you know, say, I'm going to be poor monk and live out nowhere and eat meager food. But the heart behind those things was that they knew the pervasiveness of riches. Jesus talked about money so much, serving God and money. We can't serve two masters. 
that when we are prosperous, rich, independently, wealthy, able to make decisions about our own life, it is so easy for us to put God to the side, to not find any strength in him, and to really become God over him, to put him into our life where we see he fits, to be content in our status quo of what we've built for ourselves. One of the ways that we learn contentment is to look at people like Paul in our own day, to read stories of those in the church who we think live in unthinkable circumstances. I always find them incredibly encouraging to read the letters from the pastors in China who are being arrested. (laughs) Just think, I can't believe that they do what they do. I can't believe that they have that kind of joy while they're in prison. It dethrones the veil that I've built over my own life. That I've got it together, that me and God are on good terms, everything's great and shiny. And and then I read the faith of a man whose strength is found in Christ. Because it has to be. And I think of how watered down our strength is, our attachment to him, our contentment in him. But that is what Paul is reminding us, is that he is able. How hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you live in America, you are a rich man, even if you live in the worst part of the worst town. It is so hard for our hearts not to feel overly confident, to find their strength and contentment in other things. So when we look to this verse, when we hear this life verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Indeed, we might need to hear that for today. We might have hard days ahead. In fact, we might not be content with where we're at. We might need to be reminded of Christ's strength in our weakness. You might feel particularly weak today. Christ has strength for you. I think the majority of us need Christ's strength to resist the urge, resist the desires of the good life, resist the desire to be content with material things. You remember what Paul said back in chapter 3? I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There are so many things that can get in between our knowledge and experience of Christ because they're just easy distractions, things we can control, things that make us feel comfortable. But here is just a way to kind of wrap this together that I think might be helpful for you as you think about this letter, about what Paul is exhorting us to the strength that Christ offers to us, that is available to us because we belong to him. You think about a wedding vow, right? Typical, traditional wedding vow. I, blank, take you, blank, 
to be my lawfully wedded spouse, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, for sickness and in health, till death do us part. These simple vows, they echo this same sentiment about the strength of Christ in our lives. It is there for us when things are better, when things are worse, when we are richer and when we are poor, when we are sick, when we are in health. But these promises we have in Christ are far greater than any made at some wedding because our spouses will let us down, we will falter, and we will have doubts. We are sinful, broken people. To varying degrees, we are simply unable to keep any vow perfectly especially when things are hard. But the one who made these promises to us, a perfect, holy, righteous God, who ratified them by sending his own son into the world to show his love for us, to pay for our debts, the one who is unable to break his vow, unable to do wrong, who is loving towards us even when we are unfaithful to the vows that we have taken. This is the one who brings us strength. He is who we belong to. When we see ourselves in times of wanting, may we turn to Christ for our strength. May we know he is with us. May we know that even if we aren't delivered from our circumstances, it is in his hands. And when we see our hearts being drawn away by all of the things in our lives and in our cultures, when we are finding ourselves being contented in other things, may our hearts be stirred to be reminded that they must find their true strength and contentment in Christ. That he wants us to know him. That he wants us to revel in the righteousness that comes by faith. That he wants us to find our rest in him. That he wants us to bring our prayers to him. That he wants us to be with him. And so we can be the richest person in the world and yet the most humble. The most prolific evangelist in all of the New Testament and yet the most humble. And the most humble, poor, needy person and yet the strongest May God give us his strength in our times of need and in our times of plenty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christ gives us the strength we need to be reminded of all that you've done for us. Lord, help us to resist self-righteousness, self-fulfillment, self-contentment. And instead, Lord, to find our strength in your Son, Lord, if we feel weak today, help us to find our strength in you. If we feel strong today, let us be reminded that your strength is far greater than anything we can do on our own. Lord, help us as we meditate on all that Christ has done for us. We, too, would say these words like the Apostle Paul. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.